0: Pull out your Bibles, please. We're going to be looking at First John chapter 4, page 1023 is where that starts, but uh, first I want to look at just a couple verses from what we looked at last week. As you're finding First John, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Father, thank you for folks who write songs, even folks way over in Australia who write songs that we can then sing here, and they resonate so well with things that we're going through. So I thank you for the folks uh, of City of Light and all the the great, truth-filled, beautiful songs that they are providing for your church around the world. pray that you would bless them, that many more great songs would come through them. pray, Lord, as we come now and we place ourselves under the authority of your word. I pray that you would help us to understand what John is saying in the fourth chapter. I pray that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would shape us, that you would send us out better equipped to be the church that you have called us to be. Lord, thank you that the kids are in here with us. I pray that you'd help them to to hear the things that they need to hear. Help them to understand, and uh, whether it's through drawing on the, the bulletin or other things they're doing. Help them to, to process the things that you are saying to them through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, I found out about kind of the perfect Ill- sermon illustration after I did the sermon. So I just want to backtrack and share it with you guys. So 1 John 3, 17 and 18, this was one of the, the, really the main point last week. To this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, there have been some amazing examples, like large-scale, crazy sacrificial love this week. As we have seen civilians and retired you know, former military people voluntarily, you know, on their own dime and with the help of others, going and rescuing people out of Afghanistan. Just amazing feats of courage that they, are, they have been performing this week. But what about the regular everyday stuff? Well, a little over a week ago, the Brunswick family was getting ready to go on vacation And they were out of time. They had a huge yard that needed to be mowed and other things that needed to happen before they left for vacation. And some of you guys in this church gathered together, brought multiple mowers and machinery, and you guys tackled the yard in order to get it done for them so that they could leave for vacation. That is a very practical, you know, this, our life example of how brothers and sisters in Christ came together they had what another brother and sister needed they gave it in order to meet that need and I just I'm just so thankful that that kind of thing is happening so look for those opportunities even those those small everyday opportunities to practically love your brother and sister in Christ I'm going to have you guys turn to someone and uh, and have a short conversation with them right now. So if you need to mask yourself up, now's your chance to do that. Kids, you can participate in this too. You're going to um, try to answer the question and talk it out. Which is most important? Is it truth or is it love? So you think about your relationships, marriages, kids, your friends, all that stuff. If if you had, I know this is artificial. If you had to choose one that was more important to the other. Is truth more important in the relationship or is love more important in the relationship? Go ahead, talk it out for just about 30 seconds or maybe a minute, and then I'll pull you guys back together. Alright, thanks for being part of that. Um, it's a bogus question, right? The the answer is obviously you need truth and you need love, right? And and it, it's like, yeah, I got it right. Way to go. Yeah. In a in a relationship, if if all you have is, is truth and you don't have any love, well nobody really cares what truth you're sharing, right? And if all you have is love and you don't have truth, well, then you're not actually loving because a large part of loving is telling the truth when it needs to be heard, right? Some of you are nodding your head like, yeah, I got that, got that point. The Apostle Paul, who's, who's not the, the guy who's writing our main book today, but the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, which is a book that I love and hope someday to, to preach through for you guys. In the book of Ephesians, he addresses his first audience in us with this idea of of truth and love. He was warning the people not to be deceived by falsehood, right? We see this warning in a lot of the New Testament books. Be on guard. Don't be deceived, he says. He says that when we are deceived, we're like a, like a child tossed about in the waves. So picture a two or three-year-old at the ocean or one of the great lakes, and uh, they're kind of staying in a waste deep water, and the waves, they're not too big, but the waves are coming in, and basically every wave that comes in is knocking the child off balance, right? Many of you have seen this with your own kids or grandkids. That's the picture that Paul has for us here, tossed around in the waves. Here's what he says, Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So he says, don't be deceived. People are going to come with these new ideas, and they're, going to, they're, they're actually they're demonic ideas. And they might sound good at first, but don't be deceived. Don't be like a child tossed about in the waves. Instead, you need to grow up. You need to be mature. And how do we do that? According to this, he says, speaking the truth in love. That is, to each other. So I, I try every Sunday morning to speak the truth in love to you guys. That's only for a short period of time. Sometimes it's a longer period of time. But you guys have the opportunity throughout the whole week to be speaking the truth in love to each other. And that builds us up as individuals and as a body of Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at 1 John 4, and this whole chapter is divided into two sections. There's the truth section, and there's the love section. The first part, he wants to make sure that we're believing the, the right things about Jesus. We're thinking the right things about Jesus. And then the second part, he wants us to make sure that we are loving in the right way. Now, if you've been tracking with us through 1 John, you know that John has these few themes like love and and light, and abide, and life, and he just keeps rolling over and over and over back onto these themes. So especially when we get to the love part of the chapter, you're going to think, I, I know I heard this before. Yes, you did, because John keeps repeating it and saying it in slightly different ways. But before we get to that more familiar part of the chapter, we're going to read the truth part of the chapter. So we're looking at 1 John 4, 1 through 21 today. This is on page 1023 in a pew Bible beloved, he says to his readers and to us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Our our secular culture that we live in is rationalistic and materialistic. We believe that the material world is all that exists and that there's, there's not a supernatural, all right? So that's how um, much of our world exists. They are materialistic. What you can see, what you can touch, what you, may, you can measure, what you can study, that is real, they would say. The spiritual world is, is bogus. It's imaginary. John's having nothing to do with that, all right? John says, no. The spiritual world is real. John knows that the spiritual world is real. He has seen it with his own eyes multiple times in the life of Jesus, where the spiritual world has been undeniably real. Angels are real. Demons are real. We are spiritual beings. We're not just matter. We're not just a brain with electricity running around, and when that's done, we're gone. No, we are spiritual beings... We are inhabiting our bodies, we're linked to our bodies, but we are spiritual beings. And what John says here in this first verse, he tells us to test the spirits. Because there are some spirits who are on God's side, and they are messengers of God's truth. I think about um, all all of our Bible is written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have Many passages in there where angels show up and they communicate things to God's people and it's good, good messages, it's the right thing, it's true. And then there's also a lot of examples in there where Satan and his messengers are deceiving people. John says, be on guard, test the spirits. The message that you're hearing and believing, is it coming from God or is it coming from God's arch enemy?" This afternoon, just a short drive from here, a group of probably four to six hundred people will gather in a worship auditorium. They will sing songs similar to ours. They will read from the Bible. They'll hear a preached message. Much of it will sound like Christianity. But the foundational truth of that particular group is that Jesus Christ is not God. That is the first and foremost declaration of that group. It's the Way International in New Knoxville. Now, they claim to have received that message directly from God, that the Holy Spirit inspired their their, uh, movement starter, that Christians had had it wrong for almost 2,000 years, that there's no such thing as a trinity. Jesus is just a man. He's a special man, but he's just a man. He is not divine. Where did that message come from? Does it line up with the witness of Scripture? That's our test, right? So when John says, test the spirits, test the message from the spirits, the way we test that is against what God has given us in his written word. And in the case of the example that I just gave you, it fails miserably. Jesus repeatedly and clearly shows us that he is divine. When we believe something that's wrong, and then we're shown that it's wrong, and we stubbornly persist in its wrongness, we show ourselves to be fools. All of us are wrong about things. That's not the question. It's whether or not when we learn what is true, will we change? I've got a great example for you. Two years ago, last Sunday... I shared about a new business that was starting in town. It's called the Center for Healing. It's on the square down here. And there were two ladies that were partnered together starting it. And you guys know one of those ladies... Teresa Nelson. Now, I didn't know Teresa at the time. I have had conversations with her since then, but I didn't know her at the time. But there was a big Facebook advertisement about the new business, and I talked to you guys about it. And I was talking to you that Sunday about 2 Timothy 3.16 that tells us that Scripture is sufficient and it is trustworthy for teaching and for correction and reproof and for training in righteousness. It is the thing that, that grows us. It's the thing that we measure all ideas against. And that when somebody is claiming to be receiving supernatural communication, we test everything, even such claims against Scripture. And that ad came up that week, and it was perfect for me to share, because the, the business partner that Teresa was with was claiming to be a medium, that she was talking to dead people, she was talking to spirits, and that her her work there in that business was primarily spiritual. It was not Christian. It is now, she was claiming it was She's saying, The Holy Spirit has given me the gift of talking to dead people. Right? And so we use that as an example. And we went to Deuteronomy. The Old Testament, the Old Testament is very helpful for us. And we looked at Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12. It says this, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who acquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. That is God speaking to the nation of Israel as he's setting them up after the Exodus, moving them into the land. He's saying, you can have nothing to do with these things. So how do we know that someone who's claiming to be a medium or a psychic or talking to spirits or dead people, how do we know that that is not what God wants? Well, God tells us that right in His Word. And so we we take the message, we test it against the Word. Now, I didn't know Teresa at the time, and many of you guys did, and so it kind of got back to her, what I had said. And she started asking questions. And she started reading her Bible. And she started asking questions of her business partner. And as the truth came clearly into her mind, she realized this is wrong. She very courageously and at great cost to herself broke that business relationship and said, I'm going to have nothing to do with this. Now, she continues with her her business of 20 years. uh, It's called for Sales Medical Massage. That's completely independent of that other business that we were talking about. But I share that with you guys to give you a concrete, real example of what repentance looks like. I tell you guys many, many times that repentance means to, to turn around and go the other way. Well, the, the biblical word for repentance is the idea of changing your mind. And I, I, that feels like wimpy to me. Like repentance has to be more than changing your mind, right? Because I can change my mind about all kinds of things. And so I always stress it's turning around, going the other way. But biblically, what it is, is you believe something and so you're acting a certain way. You're confronted with the truth, and so you change the way that you're thinking in order to line up with the truth, and then you change the way that you act, and that is exactly what Teresa did when she was confronted with the truth of who her business partner was and what she was doing. If there are things that you are believing that are wrong, they are leading to wrong actions, and as you hear the truth, maybe you'll hear it today in Scripture, change the way that you're thinking line it up with truth of scripture and then change your life so let's let's go back to first john the idea of testing the spirits he's going to expand on this idea within a specific narrow context and i'll explain that and then widen it for you by this you know the spirit of god all right, so how are we to know if it's the spirit of God or if it's another spirit? Here's, here's how it is. He says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, that's a very narrow definition. And honestly, this kind of definition really bugs me because this this brings a whole bunch of other questions in. So, if, if a, a demon-possessed man came in here and, and stood up on stage and said, Jesus Christ came in the flesh, does that pass the test of what John just said and then we should listen to him? See, see how that bugs me? Well, see, John is he's working in a very specific context. He's addressing a specific lie. When we started the first John series, we talked about Gnosticism, this heresy that, uh, among other things, taught that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh because the Gnostics believe that anything matter, material, is corrupt, and spirit is all good. And so if Jesus really is the Christ and Messiah, he could not have come in the flesh, because then he would be corrupted. He would would be sinful. And so they said, no, Jesus just appeared to come in the flesh, and it was an illusion. And again, John's having none of that, right? Because, Because he was with Jesus physically. He saw Jesus... Uh, You know, sweat and blood on the night of his betrayal. He saw Jesus get tired. He saw Jesus eat. Uh, He saw Jesus calm the storm, touch people to heal them. He even watched as Jesus compassionately said to Thomas after the resurrection, look, stick your finger, your physical finger in the physical hole in my hand and know that I'm real, right? John saw all this. And so in his context, where the people are very specifically saying, Jesus could not have come in the flesh and still be your Messiah because he would be corrupted by his flesh. John says, if somebody's saying that, you know they are not coming from God. They're not speaking from God. Instead, he says, they're speaking from the spirit of the Antichrist. Earlier in John, John laid this Antichrist label on people who were denying the truth of the gospel and who had left or never really even part of the church. But now he's talking about Like the character, the Antichrist, the the beast of revelation, the man of lawlessness of revelation. He's saying that that evil personified, that that arch enemy of Jesus is at work in the world and he's telling lies. One of the lies John addresses, Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, but he's telling all kinds of other lies too. Each and every one of us hears lies from the spirit of the Antichrist every day and we have to... we have to discern, are we hearing truth? Is what we're hearing on the radio or in that song, that's even claiming to be a Christian song. Is that true? Does it line up with Scripture or not? We've got to test it against the Bible. Going on, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, that is the, the lying spirits, for he who is in you, speaking of the Spirit living in you, is greater than he who is in the world, speaking of Satan or the Antichrist or the liars. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So Jesus, uh, John very clearly again says, you got your two kingdoms. you got the kingdom of God, and you got the kingdom of the world. And you're a citizen of one, you're not a citizen of both. If you're in the world, you're hearing the lies, you're thinking those sound great. But if you're in the kingdom of God, you should be discerning that those are lies, and you should be rejecting them. He goes on, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of the truth and the spirit of error. Now that sounds like a strong claim. Probably pretty arrogant, right? So he's right in there. Um, if you guys want to know what truth is, listen to us. Whoever listens to us knows the truth. Who's the us? Who's the we that he's talking about? It's John and the other apostles. Those first followers of Jesus, those ones that were with him the most, the ones who were commissioned to lead and spread the church, those who were used to write the New Testament, like John. He's saying those, the inner circle, the ones who by the time John wrote this, most of them had given their lives as martyrs for Jesus. He says, the message of the apostles, which we now have, as the New Testament. That's the we. That's the, the us. That's who you should be trusting. you got to check it all against the New Testament. All right, So that gets us through the truth part. Believe the right things about Jesus. Don't buy the lies. How do you know the difference? You know your Bible. You know what the New Testament in particular says about Jesus. And you hold fast to that. That's the truth part. Now we get to the love part. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now this sounds a little lovey-dovey, right? Especially that last part. God is love. And maybe you've heard that used as like a, a standalone statement, pulled out of context, maybe even turned into a weapon. Like if you are trying to convince people that, no, it's important that you believe right things, and yet you can't just believe all kinds of crazy stuff, somebody will sometimes turn around and say, but if we just love each other, God is love, and so if we just love each other, we just, can't we just all get along, right? It's very hippie kind of love. Make a great Disney song right? Love is all you need. Well, don't forget the first six verses of this chapter where truth is really important. So John's not just saying forget about the truth and if you just, you know, feel love for each other, everything's good. No, he's talking about God is love in a very real and a very black and white sense. He's going to show us what love is, how do we know what love is, And it's not just a Disney song. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest, or this is how we see it among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now we'll get to that word in just a minute. You may remember it from a few weeks ago. But notice what he's saying. This is how we know what love is. God sent his Son that we might have life. That's what he says. What did that entail? That entailed not only a great humbling as God the Son, eternally existent with the Father and the Spirit, takes on flesh as a baby, vulnerable, weak, needing a diaper change, grows up, goes through hunger and thirst and suffering and betrayal and all, all of that stuff, but, but most of all, goes to the cross to die for us. John says, that's how you know what love is. It's not somebody saying, I love you. It's not, I feel love. It's the action of sacrifice, Jesus coming to rescue us is how we know what love is. And he says, the son is a propitiation for our sins. We saw this one other time in 1 John, it was in chapter 2, verse 2, where it said, he, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we said that propitiation means a turning away of wrath, right? So if my children have disobeyed me and there's wrath rising up inside of me, I'm about to smash them, crush them with my righteous fury, And my wife steps in and says, here, have some ice cream, right? (laughs) She makes, in a very silly way, a propitiation. It, It turns away the wrath, right? Now, God is nothing like me and my wrath. His wrath is perfect and holy and righteous. It is completely deserved. We have all rebelled against Him. And as the righteous judge of the universe, He deserves, He has the right to judge us. And Jesus, as we described multiple times in this series, Jesus steps in and he turns that wrath away away from us and onto himself. And John reminds us of it and he says, that is how you know what love is. So if you've ever thought, that person said they loved me, but then they did this and I don't believe it anymore. And what is love anyway? Does it mean anything? John says, here's how you know what love is here's the picture. Let's go on. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So there's this God is love thing again, and yet God is perfected invisible to us someday we will get to see him for who he is but right now he's invisible to us but his love is made manifest is made visible to us in how we love each other he challenges us with that he says that the love of god will be perfected in us that doesn't mean that the love of god is currently defective it means it's not all that it will be It's not completed because the love of God grows in us as we love each other and becomes perfected in us so that we are loving the way that God has loved us and wants us to love each other. That's crazy, right? Because you think about how rotten we are at loving even those whom we like love the most, you know our family, maybe the the husband or wife that we've committed to love for our whole lives, so death do us part, and yet sometimes we are lousy at loving that person or the the children that we actually brought into this world, and sometimes we want to take them out of the world right I mean that's a tired joke, but parents, you know that right like there are days where like i I'm leaving so that I don't hurt the kids, right. And yet you love them. You would give your life for them, right? The love that God has for us is, is so much greater than even our love for our spouse or our kids. And is growing in us. That as we grow in Christ, we become better at loving each other. He's going to move now, start shifting focus for us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Okay, so we're back to the idea of assurance. Over and over in the book of 1 John, he says, this is how you can know if you belong to Jesus. And just like we've seen in the past, love is one of those tests. He's going to bring us back to this. By this we know that we abide, that we live in him and he in us. Are we? Are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? Okay. Because he has given us of his spirit. So the spirit of God lives in each believer. And what else? And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so John, he's like all in love mode, and then he's like, oh man, I've got to go back to the, the truth mode. I've got to go back. Are you believing the right thing? Are you confessing the right things? The Spirit of God has come into you. Are you confessing what the Spirit confesses, that Jesus is the Son of God? When you're lining up with what we have in the New Testament, which the Spirit has inspired, then you have confidence that we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Now, in these three verses, 13, 14, and 15, I love that the Trinity is all just mixed in there you got the father you got the son you got the holy spirit multiple times the father sends the son as a propitiation to turn away the wrath of the father they give the spirit to us to indwell in us the spirit teaches us that we can even even know the father and the son it's just all around and around and around and that we have the idea of the trinity and you guys have seen this diagram but i want to show it to you over and over again so it's stuck in your head this would be the athanasian shield or the trinity shield The Bible tells us these truths, without using the word Trinity, that God is one in three. That the Father is God, Jesus is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, as depicted in this diagram. And in those three verses there, 13, 14, and 15, this dance of the Trinity is in full play as we see how they... Love each other and love us. Now, John's going to repeat some things and make sure we got it. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So it's back to that idea of assurance. 17. By this is love perfected or completed with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he as he is so also are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love Now we're back to that idea of judgment We need propitiation because there is judgment coming. And John says, if you are abiding in Christ, Christ is abiding in you. If you have received the love of God, you are living in the love of God, you are believing the right things, all of these are assurance for us. He says, then you can have confidence in the day of judgment. The day of judgment is real. It's really coming. All that we have done and that we have thought, the secret motivations of our heart, all of that will be laid bare someday. Now, that's a scary thought. Unless you know that all of that is completely covered by Jesus, that He has turned away the wrath of the Father, and yes, everything's going to be made known in the judgment, but you are free, you are forgiven, you are a beloved child of God. This week I uh, was made aware of a news story that's actually been developing for a long time. So when East Germany, communist East Germany fell, there was a mad scramble to destroy a lot of documents. The East Germans were really good at keeping records. The Stasi, or the SS, the secret police, they kept just thousands and thousands of pages of records And many of those records documented who they had recruited to be spying on other citizens of East Germany. So you had fathers spying on sons, and neighbors spying on neighbors, and church members spying on church members. and It was all recorded in these documents. And as East Germany fell, those documents were destroyed to different levels of destruction, but not gotten rid of. So some of them were destroyed like this picture. Simple, rip it long ways, rip it short ways, right? Put into a bag. Some of them were destroyed like this next picture, shredded. This is an actual picture. That's not just a stock image. Those are German records in somebody's hand, shredded. There are 15,500 bags of destroyed records. And for 20 years, people have been putting those records back together. Now, those rip them two ways, that's a certain challenge. This is a serious challenge. It's not until we got serious scanning and computing technology that this could even be attempted. But they are working on it right now. 500 of those bags have already been pieced back together so that the documents can be read and it is destroying families and communities. Because you got people who are, they are they're are—they're very old and they're not going to make it much longer and they thought they were going to make it to death without their secrets coming out and now those secrets are coming out. And so young people are looking at grandpa, or great grandpa, and realizing he was a traitor and a spy. And he ratted out my uncle, who was killed by the East Germans. I've been going to church with a person my whole for decades. And that person was a spy of the secret police. Husband against wife, child against brother or sister. All of that is in those records. And so as those are coming together, faster now than ever before because of greater computer power, the, the East German people are saying, please stop. We don't want to know we, we don't want justice. We just want it to go away. How much greater will that judgment day that John talks about be? God doesn't have to piece any pieces back together. He doesn't have to scan anything, hold them up to the light and tape them together. He's got it all, right? And yet if you are in Christ... You don't face that wrath. Instead, you are a child of God brought into the family by a father who loves you enough to give his own son as a propitiation. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Now that order is important. Right? We're commanded to love God. It's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. And yet, God loved us first. And so we're not loving God in order to earn his acceptance, earn his forgiveness by his love. No, he, no, we're responding to his love with our own love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right, this, this should be pretty obvious to us, right? You know, if I claim to love God, and yet I'm hating you guys? You shouldn't believe me. It right? doesn't make any sense. 21. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So in the characteristic swing from invitation to challenge that John has been doing back and forth through this whole letter, he finishes up the chapter for us by saying, love each other. If we went back to last chapter we'd see not just in word but indeed actually love each other. So whoever loves God must also love his brother. He just said it. Whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister in Christ. So we must know, believe the right things. Verse 6 verses. Speak the truth, right? But we must also love. Love God and love each other. So, what are you going to do with that today? Do you need to be knowing the Bible better so that you can be recognizing the lie and clinging to the truth? Yes, that's true of everybody in here. And so, please, read your Bibles. Know the truth of God. Do you need to be loving each other better? Yes. Yes, you do. Some of you are really great at it. You can be better. Some of you are probably pretty lousy at it. Love each other. Look for ways, as we saw last week. You see a brother or sister in Christ who has a need and you can meet the need, then meet the need. That is how John says we are to love each other. That could be a, a monetary need, a physical need, an emotional need, somebody to talk to. You need to speak the truth and love to them and, and you know, be a friend and a counselor to them. I hate to embarrass him. Jason's going to have hip surgery on Wednesday. And uh, they're going to need some help. Are we going to help him? Yeah. Are we Are going to love him? Jason, uh, he's been off his medica- medication since what day? Since last Wednesday. He's got to be off for that whole week. And uh, so he's in a lot of pain right now. And yet, and it's what a few of us have been praying, supernaturally, God is helping Jason not be a complete bear and and a jerk, right? I mean we'll talk to Christy later and find out, but you know. So, people praying for Jason are are helping to love him, helping to fill that need and God is supernaturally enabling him and hopefully making it through the next few days with all the increased pain of not having the medication and the rehab after the surgery, all that. We as a family of God, we get to love indeed, not just in word, situations like that. We have lots of people who are sick, homesick right now. How can we help them? How can we provide meals for them? How can we mow the lawn for them? What can we do to love people? As we love them, indeed, not just in word, the love of God is perfected in us. What can you do with that this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious family of God, and uh, we thank you that uh, we are aware of lots of needs right now, and I pray that you would make us uh, wise to know how to meet those needs. Lord, we got plenty of stuff that we need to do, we need to take care of, that are burdens to us, and yet you call us to love others. And so help us, Lord, to step out of our own self-focused, selfish world. Help us to serve others, give generously to others of our time, our treasure, our talents. Help us to, to, to know what it is you're calling us to do to make us better lovers of your people. Lord, would you also please... Make us better knowers and believers and proclaimers of your truth. I pray that for those in this room who are completely out of the practice of spending time in your word, Lord, would you put in them a desire to read your word and to know your truth and to be shaped by it. Or for those who are very distracted by whatever's going on in the world or whatever's next on the scroll on the phone, Lord, help us to set those things down and get to know your truth better through your word. Make us, us, Lord, a church that is full of truth and full of love, and we will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to sing our new song one more time.